Hi, I'm Pastor Dallas Billington, Senior Pastor here at City Church, and we want to welcome you today to our services. We hope that no matter what you're facing in life, that through the message today, through God's Word, He will truly encourage your heart. Well, good morning, everybody. Hey, thanks for springing ahead with us this morning. I'm excited about that. Hey, some good news. Pastor Dallas, uh, he got to hold his uh, latest baby granddaughter this past week. And uh, if I have it right, because I told somebody else, I believe that, because, uh, you know, Pastor Dallas, he didn't know anything last week. He just knew that, she, he just knew that he had a new baby, but I think her name is Lily. And uh, I saw a picture of him holding her. It's pretty precious, so. All right, so most of us are familiar with a biography, whether it's a book, whether it's a movie, and a biography is a story of someone's life written by somebody else, okay? So if I was to ask you today, and when I say this, some of you are going to go, oh, that's the last thing I would want. Some of you might go, oh, I'd love that. I'd love it. But if you were told that you had to write, someone had to write a biography, a story of your life, who, who would write that story for you? Who comes to your mind? Might be, you know, if my mom was alive, it might have been my mom because she always saw good in me even when I was bad. <laughs> uh, might be your mom. Might be your significant might be your son or daughter, college roommate, best friend. Who would you want to write that story? Um, <laughs> did you say nobody? <laughs> nobody. All right, if you would, uh, Jim, put up the definition of trust. We, when we think about it, if we're, if we're honest, we want to have someone that would write a story about us that we could trust, correct? We'd want that to be a trustworthy person. So the definition of trust is a firm belief in the reliability, truth, ability, or the strength of someone or something. So when I say that today, our message today is, will you trust God to write your story? Will you trust God to write your story? Easier said than done, if you would. If you have your Bibles, open up to 1 Samuel chapter 16. First Samuel chapter 16, verses 8 through 13. And uh, let's, let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, we thank you for the gift of life. And uh, we thank you for this opportunity to hear some truths from your word. And Lord, I pray that you encourage everyone that is here with us today, for those that are watching online. Lord, we know your Holy Spirit is everywhere that um, the believers are found, God, that you're there with us. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would move through people's hearts and encourage us, God, to let you write our story in our lives. And what does that mean? What does that look like? And how do we get there? Lord, we pray that you bless all that's done for your glory and for your good today. In Jesus' name. Amen. So before we read uh, these verses in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 8 through 13, I'm going to give you some background today. So 
if we were to look at the story of David's life, it's going to be a pretty big novel. And a lot of it is actually recorded in God's word. We have a lot of it to look at. But what I want to do is I just want to talk about a couple points that if we were reading the book, the, auto, the biography of David, King David, and we would get to this one point in the book and it would probably be at the end of the chapter and we're like, no way. And then you just can't wait to get to the next chapter. Or if they did a, a movie or if it was a series you were watching, like, man, I can't wait till we get to the next part. So these are significant moments in David's life. And this first one, in the back, I'm going to give you some background for the sake of time. Saul was king at this time, King Saul. And Saul was a mighty warrior. He was a mighty king. And God did miraculous things through Saul's life. But Saul began to trust his own self. And he began to forsake some of God's direction. In fact, it got so bad that the Lord was very specific in some of the things he would tell Saul. And when confronted about his sin, he would still try to make it look like it was good. Well, I did this for the Lord. You didn't listen to the Lord. And so what happened is the favor of the Lord was removed from Saul. Samuel, who was a godly priest at the time, it says that Samuel mourned for Saul. He loved Saul. He loved Israel. And he wanted the best for them. And just sometimes like a parent or a brother or a friend, you see someone who's kind of lost their way. That's what Samuel was doing. He was mourning. He was mourning for them. He was hurting. And uh, the Lord comes to Samuel and says, hey, I want, you to, I want you to put the mourning aside. I want you to anoint the next king. Okay? So that's where we pick up the story. Verse 8. Actually, let me back up just one more. So Samuel goes to Bethlehem. And he goes to Jesse, and the Lord tells him that the next king will be of Jesse's family. So it's a large family, a lot of brothers. And the first person that Samuel sees is Jesse's oldest son. And I kind of think, it's not in the Bible, and you won't find it in historical text, but the rumor is he looked a lot like Dwayne Johnson, the rock. He was really good looking, powerful guy. And Samuel's initial thoughts were, that's the guy. It's a time where Israel was always attacked by their enemies. A lot was going on. He looked like a warrior. I'm sure he's a big man. And they said, that's it. And God said to Samuel, I can almost, I can almost see God saying, I can see why you think that. But you look on the outside and I look on the heart. I look on the inside. And for that reason, he's not the one. So it continues. Verse 8. So Jesse called Abinadab, and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? Basically, do you have any more kids? Are they all here? Then he said, there remains yet the youngest, 
And there he is. And if you look, actually, we might have sheep on the wall here at the Tadmore. I see camels. But he says, and there he is, keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is the one. This is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. So this is significant. This is the first big chapter in David's life. He has now been chosen to be the future king. Now it's kind of quiet. And it was done within a small circle. And it was done amongst his brothers and his father and his family. From this point on, David trusts in God and he does some of the most miraculous things that we've read in his word. From this point on, David goes and when Saul could not be settled down and he was angry and he was upset and he was having anxiety and all these things, David would come in and he would play the harp before the Lord, before the Lord, before the king Saul. And Saul would calm down. And then we know the story, most everybody knows the story of how David went to the battlefield and Goliath was out there on the other side and he was calling for anybody to come fight him. And nobody wanted to fight him. King Saul, who they say was the largest man in Israel at that time, the king, he wanted no part of Goliath. And David, this young kid, comes around and he's basically talking to everybody. So what's going on and who's going to fight him? And did you say the king's going to give one of his daughters up, whoever kills him? And he's like, well, come on, let's go do this, you know? And he's all excited. His brother, who was there when he got anointed as king, says, hey, little brother, go back to the sheep. What are you doing here? You don't even know what's going on. Well, King Saul heard about the enthusiasm and he brought David in. And this tells you how non-trusting that Saul was in God. Because instead of he himself going to face the giant, well, okay, go on out there and get him. I'm with you. Not really. But this is part of David's story. He defeats Goliath. Then from there, his story goes, he's made commander, and he goes out and he, met, he wins tons of battles for the Lord. At one point, David is winning so many battles, he has so many successes, he is trusting God and relying on him so much that he is appointed head of the entire army. He also then ends up marrying one of the king's daughters. So if we pause for a minute, maybe we're watching this or we're reading along, we'll be like, hey, let's get some more popcorn. This story's getting good. And, and you're like, I, I like David's story so far. It sounds pretty good. The key during those high moments and the reason that David had so many successes is he trusted God. He'd have never had that Goliath moment. He wouldn't even came close, but yet he almost ran to face Goliath because he trusted God. So those mountaintop moments were because he trusted him. I like the story so far. 
If God would have chose me, I'd been like, yeah, hey, this is working out really well. This is working out really well. But turn a few more chapters over. Samuel chapter 20. And I'm going to fill you in on the story now. So David has this season, and we read chapters of his life to where he has victory after victory. He's being blessed. He's anointed as the future king. Everything is going good, but it's going too good. And Saul begins to get so jealous of David that he hates him. He despises him. And he starts to just get in his mind. He's like, I got to get rid of this guy. And he tries to set him up to get killed in battle. He tries to trick him. He tries to do many things to David. And the last one, he had actually planned to come to David's house and attack him, but David's wife, who was also Saul's daughter, heard about it. She goes, you got to go. You got to get out of here. We pick the story up a little bit later then. Saul's, one of Saul's sons was Jonathan. And Jonathan and David had that special gift from above relationship. They loved each other more than physical brothers. They loved each other to the point where they vowed their death and their devotion to each other. They were a band of brothers and it went really deep. And so Jonathan, he wanted David to come back home, be a part of the kingdom and continue on doing what he's doing. And David said, Jonathan, your dad might say it, but he wants to kill me. So they arranged a test. And in, Jewish, in the Jewish family and religion, every time there's a new moon, it's kind of like a mini holiday. And for a couple days, everybody gets together and they have a feast. And that's kind of where we take place. And so this is what they decided. So chapter 20, verse 27 through 33. And it happened the next day. So David didn't show up the first day. The second day comes. The second day of the month that David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, why has the son of Jesse not come to eat? Either yesterday or today. So Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked permission of me to go to Bethlehem. And he said, please let me go for our family as a sacrifice in the city, and my brother has commanded me to be there. And now, if I have found favor in your eyes, please let me get, get away and see my brothers. Therefore, he has not come to the king's table. So he makes an excuse of why he's not there, and he gives a reason. Saul's reaction was, then Saul's anger was aroused against Jonathan. And he said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, you shall not be established, nor your kingdom. At this point, Saul is thinking, David's likely going to be the king, even though he didn't know he was anointed. But he sees what God is doing in his life. And he's like, you're going to lose the kingship. You're going to give it away because you care for David. Now, therefore, 
Send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Jonathan, from the king's table, answered Saul, his father, and said to him, why should he be killed? What has he done? And I kind of picture, picture a younger son sitting at the dinner table, and everybody's together. Somebody makes a statement that's really strong like that, and he's like, really? What do you do? He hasn't done anything wrong. And David was so loyal to Saul, and Jonathan knew that. When he said that to him, verse 33, Saul cast a spear at him to kill him, by which Jonathan knew that it was determined by his father to kill David. Saul got so mad at Jonathan's simple question, just a question, what's he done? Why do you want to kill him? That Saul literally in the middle of dinner picked up the spear and threw it at him. Now, you've all probably been to a tense family dinner where someone kind of gets a little upset and crazy. Can you imagine that one? Sitting there and the father decides to throw a spear and kill one of the children. You're kind of like, okay, can you pass me the mashed potatoes? That'd be so awkward. Well, this is real life and this is what's happening. So um, what takes place then is David and Jonathan had had a plan to acknowledge whether it was safe for him to come back into the fold or whether David needed to leave. So that plays out. They hug each other, they cry, and they separate. From this point on, this is that another significant chapter in David's life story. He goes into hiding. He goes on the lamb. He goes into run away, and he stays in hiding for over 10 years we're not talking a few days. We're not talking a few weeks. We're not talking a few months. We're talking over a decade. David now doesn't truly have a home that he lives in that he could call his permanent residence. He is often hungry. He is pursued by Saul and the greatest of warriors, sometimes 3,000 at a time, looking to kill him all along the way. That part of the story isn't as appealing Sometimes in our lives, we have things that we don't understand, and we don't know why it's happening, and it doesn't make sense, and you're like, well, if God is for me, why did this happen? What's going on? And sometimes we get a blow, and we can handle that. We're like, Lord, just help me turn that off. I'm just going to let that go. Sometimes it's another one. And sometimes for someone like David, who trusted the Lord with all his heart, the devil came at him for over 10 years. He was in the wilderness. What happens in your life, in your story? When, when you're faced with things that you don't understand, when life comes at you, and like David, David had moments where he didn't have a place to lay down, he didn't have food. He was fearful if he, woke, if he went to sleep that it, he would be killed in the night. All those things were happening. When those times in life come that we don't understand and we don't know how to deal with, what do you personally do? Do you 
withdraw away a little bit from God? Do you get quiet? Do you get angry? Or do you, like David did most all the time he was out there, he called upon the Lord even more. For a decade, he called upon the Lord. Those circumstances in David's life God had for a purpose. It was part of David's story, but it was part of the Lord's story in David's life. David went on to be the king. He went on to be one of the greatest kings Israel ever had. He wasn't perfect, but God described him as a man after his own heart. And because of that time where David didn't know if he was gonna make it to the next day and he struggled through life, He became a more compassionate king. He became a more humble king. And can you imagine a king who could just relate to the whole kingdom, whether it was the most wealthy, successful people in his kingdom, or whether it was by the person who was barely getting by and didn't have a place to call their own. David could relate to the kingdom. Can you imagine what a great king he was for the people of God? That would have not happened without this chapter in his life. David fully trusted God. He trusted that God ultimately wanted the best for him and that he had a plan for his life. So today when I ask you, will you let God write your story? For some of you today, whether you're watching, online or whether you're here with us today. Some of you have a hard time trusting God because you've had bad trust issues in life. Someone's really let you down. Someone's hurt you. Someone's done things that you put yourself out there and you lay it all out and you've just been really hurt by them. I want, to, I want you to take this point away. If I say that and something comes to your mind and you're like, I have trouble trusting because of how significant that was in my life, this is for you. Don't let that person write your story. Don't let them. Don't let them write your story. That's what the devil wants you to do. He wants you to feel defeated And he wants you to not to trust God. For some of you, you're like, well, Pastor Ben, I trusted God. And I felt abandoned. Or I felt like I was let down. And it didn't play out the way I wanted it to play out. Sometimes it seems that way. Sometimes if you let God write the story, it may not be A lot of times it's not going to be how you want it to be. But if your story is written the right way and you let God write it, it's the best way. And when you let God write the story of your life, your story becomes his story and you reflect his light. 
what are some, I want to talk about just one way that we can all trust God more. And that is looking at God for who God is. I just want to look at a couple passages. If you would turn to um, Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. If we look at God for who he is and what he can do and what he has done, you'll find your ability to trust him a lot greater. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. And he in this passage is actually talking about Jesus. He is the image. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist, and he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead. Jesus was the first one that conquered the grave, that rose from the dead. And in all things, he may have the preeminence, that he would be first. Revelation says that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. God Almighty, from creation, who conquered hell and the grave, was the first one to rise. Look in the Old Testament, Isaiah 44. 44, that's one of my favorite numbers. Lori hears me say that too much. 44, 24. <clears throat> 44, 24 says, Thus says the Lord your Redeemer. And he who formed you from the womb, I am the Lord who makes all things, who stretches out the heavens all alone who spreads abroad the earth by myself. Sometimes we don't think that we can trust God to take care of things in life. We can't trust him sometimes to take care of our health, our well-being, our relationships as complicated as they can be. But you gotta pause and look at God for who he is and realize he created the universe. He created the world. He puts People in power. Do you know that the Bible even tells us that God uses the evil men for his purpose sometimes? Sometimes you're like, well, how can that person be in a position of authority? Because God's working something good from it. The first part of that verse is, and he formed you from the womb. There are so many things in life that we can see in this world that are just breathtakingly beautiful. And if you pause to just look at it and know that God made it, it'll impact your life. But nothing that we can see that was created is formed in God's image besides you and besides me. Formed in God's image, he created you. I don't always, we don't always understand why certain things happen. You know, I think, of, uh, I think of dear Colleen, widow from our church, and 
when I met, first met Colleen <clears throat> years ago here at City Church, and she sat down and she told me part of her story. She told me part of how God had wrote part of her story. And part of her story was her beloved husband being called home to go with the Lord, and he passed away. And she, I know she still misses him. She hates that he's gone. But I, I also think possibly someday when she gets to look at life through the rearview mirror and she gets the heavenly view of things and all things are revealed and we get to see things, I think she might find that because she was alone, but yet she still trusted God, that he had a purpose and that he had a plan for her life, that she invested her love even greater into some of her grandchildren and we got to see two of her grandchildren at different times over the years walk up this aisle at the end of the service and find the master and become saved. And if we think about that, she would, she would beg to have her husband Ron back with her today, but to know that she trusted God for the purpose still in her life and to know that heaven will be fuller with her family members, trust God. Small story, last time I spoke, I shared with you guys something that happened when I worked at Xerox and how <clears throat> there were supposed to be some layoffs and <laughs> at the end of the day, um, God fought that battle and it didn't happen. And my boss still said, I'm not sure what happened, but congratulations. <laughs> that it didn't happen. But some other things led up to that. And I want to just share them with you, just a real small story, real quick before we close. It was a Sunday morning, just like this. I was helping lead worship here at City Church. I was also helping lead worship at another sister church that God allowed us to be a part of for a long time with my dear brother, John Stahl. And so I would lead worship here one week, and the next week I'd lead worship there. And they were both supposed to be small temporary things so we could find somebody else. And I was working full time, a lot of crazy hours at this time. So one Sunday morning, I woke up <laughs> and Lori looked at me and she goes, what's wrong? And I go, my chest is killing me. I go, my chest is so tight. And being the loving wife and having common sense unlike a man, she goes, well, we need to go to the hospital. And Dr. Rick Benson back there would say, you need to go to the hospital. So when I say this part, don't do as I did and be smart about this. But I, I want to tell you the moment I had right there. It was a little different. And I said, if I don't go to City Church that morning because it was in City Church's beginnings, I said, at that particular morning, there would be nobody else to lead worship. Nobody. When they weren't available that day. Nobody could have done it. So people would have come to church, the house of the Lord, and we are commanded to worship. And it's part of God's plan for the church. And it wouldn't happen. And I said, I said to Lori, I said, uh, I know it sounds stupid. And I go, there are times when I should have went to the doctor and I haven't. And I know you're probably mad at me for those. And that's legit. But this one time, I feel like I need to trust God so that I can go to church and take care of things as he's called me to do. 
And I said, I promise, as soon as church is over, I'll go to the hospital. <laughs> Reluctantly, Lori put her trust in God at the same time, and she said, okay. So I got to come that morning. I got to lead worship. I was blessed by being together in church, and we immediately went over to the emergency room. And then when a chubby middle-aged guy goes in there with chest pains, the lights are going off, and they got things hooked up to me and tests going on like crazy, and I, you would think the world was falling apart, and they're doing their job to make sure I'm okay. Well, I ended up having to spend the night in the hospital. Good news was, everything was okay. Everything was fine. I trusted God for a moment that I felt like I needed to trust him because ultimately, ultimately, where is our health and our life held? By God Almighty. We need to be smart about it, and I am not recommending that anybody do that. I don't want Dr. Rick to rush the stage and try to take my mic. But for that moment, it's what I was supposed to do. God brought so much good from that. Here's what happened. I had to ride in an ambulance from the hospital here in Green to the main campus. I, that was a first for me. I spent the night in the hospital. Everything, you get millions of tests. And I usually did not call off work. But I was in the hospital on Monday morning, and I couldn't go to work. Monday morning was the day that I was appointed to talk to the senior vice president about our department and the planned layoffs that day. Well, I couldn't do it from the hospital bed, so that got canceled. So here's what God does when we trust him. We got, I went back to work, everything was fine, praise God, no health issues. Most likely, most likely it's probably stress. And we go back to work and we reschedule the meeting, we get into our year end, and the meeting keeps getting pushed and pushed and pushed. And the last week of the year, we got an order of copiers for one of the local hospitals in the Canton market, and it was for all their copiers. It was a big order. It should have never gone through, but somehow it did. Do you know what that did? It allowed Comdoc to make their plan. They made their financial plan. So then my meeting that got rescheduled is in January, and it's days after everybody celebrated the success of the company. God used that moment to save people from losing their jobs, who at the time would have hurt me and my ability to do my job, and would have also hurt the ability for the department to support the company. Sometimes you have to trust God when you don't understand and you can't see what's happening. In my flesh, I could have paused and go, Lord, I'm trying to serve you. I'm doing everything. I'm working out these practices. I'm going to worship. I'm doing all these things. And I'm not feeling good on a Sunday morning. What is that? That's what we want to do sometimes, isn't it? This was just a small thing. But it was a small moment where we trusted God. And he did so many great things from that because that moment was even involved that later led me to become part, full-time minister, become a full-time ministry and leave the corporate world. That moment was part of that. 
In closing, let's read one more verse. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 1. And I, actually, I'll have you guys just look up here. I love how this was written in the message, and I can't say it any better. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us. He, he had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose, he is working out in everything and everyone. Praise team, if you come forward. <clears throat> Sometimes, I, I promise you, church, if you trust God, you will experience a glorious life irregardless of your circumstances. Some of the lines that take place during a marriage ceremony are actually kind of a copy of how we're married to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's through better or worse, through sickness and in health, for richer, for poor, I will trust you. And that's what God wants from us sometimes. He wants us to trust him. And he will do some amazing things in your life. And don't be held back by what you've experienced in the past or what you think it should look like. Trust God and let him write your story. It'll be more beautiful than anything you could ever imagine. And at the end, at the end of that, if we pause and we look back now after it's all done and we could say, wow, I didn't understand that part of the story. I didn't like it. I hated it. I felt like I was suffering but I saw how God Almighty was glorified and how he changed someone's life. We'd be like, oh, thank you, Lord, for writing my story. Let's pray. <clears throat> Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, you know us. We are flesh and blood. Our minds quickly wander. Lord, it's hard for us to trust people sometimes, let alone trusting you fully and counting on you to write our story. Father, I pray for everyone here today. <clears throat> I pray for everyone that might be watching and listening. Lord Jesus, help us to just trust you a little bit more than we did before. Some of you, some of you today, the Lord's speaking and it's a, it's a big moment and you need to just fully trust God and just dive right in and trust him along the way. Others of you, that's a little overwhelming and that's okay. Just say, Lord, I just want to trust you more and I want you to help write the story from my life my life honor your life so that I can have a purpose and a meaning in the lives of others. Father, I pray for those today that are having trouble trusting. Give them the courage to step forward and to trust you more. 
God, help all of us, no matter what we're doing, no matter where we're at in our walk with you, to trust you just a little bit more. If there's someone here today, if there's someone who's listening, you've never done the most important trust step that you ever could do in your life, and that is trusting the Lord Jesus with your heart. I want you to pray this with me, wherever you're at. Dear Lord Jesus, I don't want to go through life alone. I don't want to write a story that doesn't mean anything. I want you to write my story. And dear Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I accept you as my Savior. Come into my heart, and I will trust you forevermore. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, has spoke to you today through his word. You know, no matter what you go through, no matter what you face in life, I want you to know that through the one, Jesus Christ, through his death on the cross of Calvary, he shed his perfect blood for you and for me. And if you pray right now and ask Jesus into your heart, the message that you heard today, why God is speaking to you, I want you to know that you can have hope. And all you have to do is pray with me right now. Don't try and figure it out. The Lord says by faith, we accept Jesus as our Savior, and you'll have hope for eternity. You say, Dallas, will you help me? What do I have to do? Well, let me share with you a verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. If you're willing to believe that God sent his son to die on the cross for you, just pray this prayer with me right now. And you can have heaven as your home. Jesus will forgive you for anything you've done in this life. And you can have hope from this day forward. Pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, forgive me a sinner. I believe that you're God's son and you came and lived a perfect life and you died on the cross and you shed your perfect blood for all of my sin. And right now, Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart to forgive me for all of my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And from this day forward, help me to live by your resurrection power. In Jesus' name. If you've prayed that prayer, we want to hear from you. Contact us through our website, City Church AC, or you can get at our church app through any of the um, streaming services, and we want you to know that we'll contact you. And from this day forward, no matter what you face, you'll always have hope knowing that Jesus is your Savior and he'll come through in your life. Thank you for being with us today.